Well, good morning. It's great to see all of you this morning. Uh, Yes, I'm holding a baseball bat. It's foam, so don't worry. There's nothing dangerous up here. One of my favorite things about baseball is how every single hitter does something completely different. This is true in softball, too. When they stand in at the plate, when they get ready to do the act that they've trained for their whole life, every baseball player has a different batting stance. You've you've seen this if you've been to a baseball game. Every player stands in there, left-handed, right-handed batters, and they get the bat ready, they get themselves ready to hit the pitch in a different way. Uh, When I was growing up in Houston, uh, there was a guy named Jeff Bagwell. I kid you not, his stance was like this, like way down low with the booty out, like, sorry, you guys, you just got a great view over there. The swing was the thing. And how did he get to that place where he learned how to swing the bat like that? He practiced and he practiced and he practiced. Every baseball player has a different swing. There's actually a guy on YouTube who has sort of made a cottage industry out of this. If you just look up batting stance guy, it's quite entertaining. It'll suck away a couple of minutes of your day or more than a few minutes if you're a baseball fan. He has learned to perfectly imitate the swings of famous baseball players, right? So I was trying to find his video that would resonate with Mariners fans. So I looked for Ken Griffey Jr. and I looked for Robinson Cano. And they were all up there, but for various reasons, one of them being I'm not a Mariners fan. I didn't want to show them to you guys today. I'd rather you see my imitation of Jeff Bagwell. Batting stance guy has learned to imitate the oddities and peculiarities of these different stances that these Major League Baseball players take. Now, the question I want to ask is, in the moment, in Game 7 of the World Series, in a playoff game, in a critical moment, would you rather be batting stance guy, this guy who really doesn't look like much of an athlete at all, who's learned to imitate a swing, or would you rather be Ken Griffey Jr., Nelson Cruz, any of these famous players who have these incredible swings? Who would you rather be? Who is more likely to be successful in that moment? Anybody want to shout something out? The players, the pros. Why is that? I think the reason for that is one of the keys to understanding this Christian concept of growth. Why should we grow? Why should we care about this this movement into becoming more and more like God? Why can't batting stance guy hit the ball out of the park like Ken Griffey Jr. can? Because batting stance guy is just imitating. Ken Griffey Jr. has so oriented his life So that that moment, the moment when the chips are down and it matters the most, that he can seize that moment and actually achieve something of greatness in it. All of the great players didn't get to be great by only playing in the game. Every great baseball player, every great player of any sport didn't get to be great by simply playing, by simply standing in the batter's box. They had to learn to choose a way of life that led to greatness. So you want to be a great parent? You want to be a great physician. You want to be a great teacher. It is not just, oh, I nailed that lesson today. This was perfect. I had such a good day at work. Tomorrow's coming. How are you going to live your life in such a way so that you are prepared moment after moment after moment to show up and achieve something great? And in today's context, we're talking about the greatness of living as Christ would have us live. If you want a simple definition for the word grow, that's the topic we're talking about today. It's one of our values as a church. We want everyone who connects to a Bethany church to grow in their faith. Growing simply means living like Christ lived. You and I are designed to grow. And when we follow Jesus Christ, we're learning to live how he lived. And it's not just about how do we perform in the batter's box. It's about how is our life changed and oriented and focused on not just a moment of greatness, but a lifestyle where we lead into greatness 
through Jesus Christ. A phrase I'll use throughout the morning is, we need to seek him off the spot so that we can become like him on the spot. What do I mean by that? I'm on the spot right now. I literally have spotlights on me right now. We cannot live our lives of discipleship presuming that in these on-the-spot moments, everything will just click, everything will work, it'll be great. We need to practice off the spot so that when we are on the spot, when the lights are truly on us, when we are having a critical moment at work or with our kids or in our teaching or whatever it is that we're doing, that the life we've lived off the spot actually allows us to live into the fullness of who God meant us to be on the spot. This is true for us as a church. All of our good work, all the good stuff we're doing together, the connections we're making at local elementary schools through Serve Day, the mentoring you guys are involved in, the intentional way we're investing in each other in our small groups, all of it's great, but it must be fed and will be sustained by what we do off the spot. And we get to do this with others. So to study this together today, you've got three questions there in your bulletin. Who am I? What's my calling? What's the shape of my life with this reality in mind? And what do I do about it? Who am I? What's my calling? And what do I do about it? By the way, I am ripping all this off from Dallas Willard. If you would like to grab a copy of his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, there's a couple of copies on the welcome table. Please feel free to grab one. It is a blessing to me to know uh, so many of the things that he has taught uh, through his lessons. So go ahead and grab that if you'd like. First question, who am I? If I'm designed to grow, if I'm made for growth, what does that say about my identity, the core of who I am? I'm just going to give you the answer to the question right now. Who am I? I'm designed to seek God. So turn to your neighbor and say, you're designed to seek God. Can you say that to your neighbor real quick? You're designed to seek God. If you don't have a neighbor, just say it in the air. We see this all throughout the scriptures. God seeks people out and they seek him out. Think about the, one of the earliest figures in the Bible, Abraham. Abraham was living on his own. We don't know what kind of life that he had, but we, don't, we know it wasn't a life where he was with God. And God comes to him and says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. God seeks him out. He, in turn, seeks God out for the rest of his life. He's drawn into transformative relationship with him. Jonah, similar deal. Jonah's actively running away from God. He's broken. He's isolated. And God comes to him and continually says, I have a plan for you. I want you to step into this way of life. And he relents and realizes he's designed to seek the life that God is offering to him. The same is true for us. The same is true for you when you go to work at Google, when you go to work at Microsoft. The same is true for you in your retirement. You are designed to seek God. We're going to go through Psalm 16 kind of off and on throughout the morning. So if you want to turn there in your Bible or bring up your Bible app and just follow along, Psalm 16 is a prophecy of the Messiah. And so it's so appropriate that we look at it because we're talking about the way of life that Jesus would live were he in our shoes, were he literally living the life that you and I have. So listen, because these are really going to illustrate for us this reality of growth. Psalm 16, I'm going to read verse 5 and then verse 8. The psalmist writes, the Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. And then in verse eight, I keep the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. The Lord is my chosen portion. I keep the Lord always before me. I'm designed to seek God. You are designed to seek God. We are called to seek him above all other loves. There's a line in here that's kind of fascinating to me. The psalmist says, the Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. 
What does that mean? You hold my lot. This is not lot in terms of property. You don't own a lot. This is a lot like something that we might use to sort of outsource chance onto. Think about rolling the dice. Think about a magic eight ball. Think about drawing straws or flipping a coin. In this psalm, God is saying, I know your lot. I know where the dice is going to go. I know what straw you're going to pick. I know where your life is headed. I've got you covered because your trajectory is toward me. Your trajectory is toward me. Through your decisions, through your loves, I will draw you to me. This has been true in my own life. I'll touch on this now and I'll come back to this at the end. My own conversion story, how I came to faith in Jesus Christ, learned to trust his trustworthiness, was by first devoting my life to good things. I was a high school kid and so good things meant making good grades and getting that precious letter jacket and having all kinds of other maybe seemingly silly things lined up but they're no less silly than the things we pursue as adults, right? My conversion was good things didn't satisfy me. Good things didn't add up. What I'm saying is God was using the good things I was pursuing as a way to create a map for me to come to him, as a way to sort of lay out a pathway for me that made sense so that I could walk into his life and walk into satisfaction with him. The scriptures are covered with this invitation that we are designed to seek God. Jesus tells his followers, ask and the door will be opened. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall happen. It shall come to you. Psalm 14 says the wise seek the Lord. Friends, you and I are designed to seek God. That is the cornerstone of growth is the recognizing the trajectory of your life. Whatever movement you've been through, whatever struggles you have faced, that God has been drawing you to himself and you are designed for that. You are designed for this. A very convicting quote for me that I read this week comes from Eric Liddell. If you've seen the movie Chariots of Fire, he's one of the main characters in that movie. He was a missionary to the East and he has this great line. He says this, you will know as much of God and only as much of God as you are willing to put into practice. You will know as much of God and only as much of God as you are willing to put into practice. However you are willing now to orient your life towards growth, towards seeking God, ordering your time around devotionals, around coming to worship, around being committed to the things that you know nurture your soul, you will experience his goodness and his glory. He will show up for you in ways that you cannot imagine. This is the promise of our design, that we are designed to seek God and he will draw us into his presence. We'll talk about practical ways to do this in just a minute, but I wanted to set us up for that at the very beginning. We are designed to seek God. What are you designed to do, Bethany? Seek God. Say it one more time. Seek God. You are designed to do that. Don't hold back that design. Live into that in the month and the years to come. We'll talk about practical steps in a little while. So that's who we are. We're designed to seek God. Now let's talk about what's our calling. And what I mean by that is if that identity statement is true, then there are things that are going to happen in your life, things that you're going to want to make sure your life is touching or encountering that really line up with that identity. So I want to highlight this actually from the psalm. This is, uh, uh, there are two kind of key things that I think the psalm teaches us that people who are about growth choose to live into. So listen uh, with me again to Psalm 18. I'm going to read verse 7 for us to begin. The two things are wisdom and fun. Okay, so if you say the word fun, you've got to have a smile on your face, right? Wisdom and fun. These are two things that your life, my life will be shaped by, will be encountering as we move toward growth. Wisdom comes up in verse 7 of the text. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. 
In the night, my heart also, in the night also, my heart instructs me. Give me counsel. My heart instructs me. There's two implications in that. The first implication is that I can hear God's counsel. If God is giving me counsel, I need to be able to hear it. How many times do you really want to hear what someone is saying to you, but you're in the other room and they're yelling at you from the kitchen, or you're trying to hear what your spouse is saying to you, and lo and behold, your children are making so much noise, it it gets lost. You can't really hear what they're saying. It could be a critical moment, right? I mean, this is our world. Can we not also count on hearing God's counsel? When we clear away the rubble, when we push past the mess, we can hear from God. That is what this scripture is promising us. And people who want their lives to be on a trajectory of growth in Christ, they believe this. It's hard to believe sometimes, but it is possible. My heart instructs me. It is tuned into this voice, the voice of the Lord. A.W. Tozer is a theologian. He's kind of one of my heroes. And he has this great prayer that I just want to share briefly. It's one sentence, but it's powerful. Tozer says this, God, let me get used to the sound of your voice. Let me get used to the sound of your voice. Think about getting used to the voice of someone you love. And when you pick up the phone, you don't even need to look at caller ID. You know it's them. You get used to the sound of their voice. God, let me get used to the sound of your voice, that its tones may be familiar. When the sounds of earth die away, And the only sound will be the music of thy speaking voice. The music of God's voice. Have you heard that music recently? Has it knocked you off your seat as it's done for me in my past? Have you heard God say something to you that you weren't expecting, that you're going, oh, I know I needed to hear that. Or as has often been the case for me, God might have said something to me years ago, and in a moment of crisis, in a moment on the spot, I'm reminded of something he said to me that is of deep comfort of deep joy for me. One of them for me is, my precious child, I love you no matter what you do. I love you no matter what you do. There's always moments for me when that is such a treasure to my heart. And may that be a treasure to you if you need to hear that this morning, or may you be reminded as I say that of moments when God has spoken to you. If you have not had the experience of God speaking to you, you are not a terrible person, you are not out of the club, listen Listen, that by faith you may hear his voice. Listen, church. This is one of my goals for the coming year. I wrote up some goals for myself for work, and then a friend of mine challenged me to kind of write up some goals for my own growth. Like, how do I want to grow? How do I want to become more mature in Christ in the year ahead? One of my goals, and this is just something that I want to try to do, I want to try to get away and listen to God. Maybe I can do a half day, a quarter. That's what I'm going to start with. Maybe I can do a whole day every other month. I don't know yet, but I want to set that time apart. There was a season in my life where I was actually pretty good at that. And I want to get back to that. I want to find that space and that time. Maybe you could do that too. Maybe it would be something else for you. But listening for the wisdom of God, I need to be alone to find that sometimes. A lot of times the wisdom of God comes, of course, through hearing the scriptures It comes through mentoring. If you've got a great mentor, if you listen carefully, sometimes you can hear the voice of God. I hear it in great theologians and great writers from the past. Listen, church. Listen. That is the pathway to wisdom. And then we need to talk about fun. So this shape of our calling as it relates to growth involves wisdom and involves fun. Listen to verse 9. Therefore, my heart is glad and my soul rejoices. My body also rests secure. My heart is glad. My soul rejoices. I rest securely. Guys, if we're going to pursue growth, we cannot be serious about it all the time. 
We cannot be stoic about this. We got to have fun too. That is our calling. And I'm so proud of our church because we have lived into some really fun moments together. I'm going to put some slides up on the screen for you from a great event this summer. A lot of you were there. We played kickball right down the hill at Peter Kirk or at uh, Lee Johnson Field. It was a blast. My kid got donked in the head with the kickball, went down for the count, but he was fine. He totally recovered after some tears and some looking at the elbows. It was a great moment because communities that have fun together are doing life really well together. So if you're in a small group, I hope you're having fun with your small group. I hope you're going to dinner. I hope you're having game night. I hope you're doing all kinds of things that are just fun. And more and more, I want this to become our DNA as a church, that we get to have fun together, we get to enjoy this life that God has given to us, and that we use that as an opportunity to invite people in. There may be friends in your circles and my circles that maybe Sunday morning won't work for them, but they would come to a bowling night. They would come to an event. They would come to something that's just, we're just playing together. We're just having fun. These are the things that God uses to create joy in us and gives us opportunities to invite others in and to reach out. So if you love corn mazes, you're going to want to talk to Kristen because our, our tween ministry is launching this fall and she's bringing some leaders to a corn maze and we're hoping a bunch of kids come. And if you love that kind of thing, I would love for you to talk to Kristen and get involved in that ministry. Invite a friend into the fun things that God is doing here or in your life. So those are the ways that we step into growth. We get to grow when we have fun together. We get to grow when we have opportunities to listen for his wisdom. Now we need to talk about how we do it. And primarily, I want to encourage you after worship to pick up one of these handouts. These are at the back table. They're also at the welcome table. This is our rule of life. These are simple, practical steps that we want to encourage people to consider adding into your daily rhythm of life. It's things like simplicity and solitude and fasting and studying the scriptures. If you're looking for like, dude, give me something to do. Go grab one of these flyers. Look over it, read over it, pray over it and see if there's some things that really jump out to you. That's one way for us to do it together. But the primary way that I want to encourage us for growth to happen is not just us by ourselves doing some disciplines. It's by being in fellowship with one another, being with each other. In order to grow, we need God and we need others. We need God and we need others. And frankly, in a congregation like ours, sort of intellectually saying like, yeah, I get that. I need God to grow. He's the author of all of life. Of course, he wants me to grow. That makes a lot of sense cognitively. That doesn't have to touch the heart. What has to touch the heart is when we are in relationship with other people, when we are with others. That is the challenge, I think, for most of us with busy lives, with commuting, with fractured schedules, with this increasing connection in our world electronically, but that's not really a connection. There are so many things that we are called to step into, and yet how do we choose this value of community over and over again? Listen to what the psalmist says. This is Psalm 16, verse 3. As for the holy ones in the land, they are the noble, in whom is all my delight. Now that may kind of sound at first blush like, well, that's an odd statement to make in this psalm that's about the Messiah. But if you think about it, it seems like the psalmist is talking about community. The psalmist is talking about the type of people who are ready to receive Messiah, ready to welcome him. And it turns out there are people who are holy, not perfect, but people who are pursuing an off-the-spot way of life so that on the spot they know how to be more like Christ. That is one way to think about holiness and maybe the way that this text means. They are holy, they are noble, they are people of high character, and they are people who are delightful. Do you have people in your life 
who are leading you toward holiness, leading you toward a more Christ-like way of life? Are they noble? Are they people of high character? And are they delightful? Are they fun to be around? This can be a mentor in your life. This can be your small group. Whoever it is, I guarantee you, it needs to be people who are seeking God off the spot so that on the spot, when the moment happens, when the chips are down, you are ready to walk into this new reality because of that relationship, because of how God has shown you, you are braver and you are stronger and you are more capable of doing things that bless and serve others than you ever could have imagined. Every one of us needs a place like this to belong to people who value these things as we do. A few years ago, I was in a men's group, uh, and the other guys in this group were similar stage in life to me. We were young dads. We were having kids. We came from these wildly different job backgrounds. One guy was in medicine. One guy was a teacher. uh, There was me. And then there was a guy who, I'm not kidding you, his job was to fight fires in underground mines. Like, firefighting, dangerous enough. Going underground to fight fires, super dangerous Like, he had the craziest job ever. And so we just would spend time together. We would drink coffee. We would pray for each other. And over these moments, you guys have been in groups like this, I imagine. So you can see this happening. Someone in the group says, yeah, me too. I've struggled this week. Or I had a hard conversation with my wife last night. Or one of my kids is really challenging me right now. You get to that place of vulnerability and open-handedness, and you just, you're sharing life together. And you're walking in those moments off the spot so that on the spot, you can behave and be like Christ. And along the way to that, you learn to devote yourselves to one another that much more deeply. So one of these friends of mine, uh, he and his family were from the Midwest. And so they went back to the Midwest to visit their family. They were going to be gone for a while, like three weeks. And he calls me after they've left town and he says, hey, uh, how's it going? And I'm like, good. I thought you guys were on vacation. Like, how's it going? He's like, well, it's interesting. I said, okay, what's going on? He said, so we left our oven on and we're gone for the next three weeks. And I think we left it on like really hot, like 450 or something. And I'm like, what? Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that. Yeah, we were trying to bake cookies before we got out of town. He's baking cookies before they go out of town. And we left the oven on and we're gone. And I'm going, okay, well, tell me where the spare key is, and I'll, I'll go, you know, turn your oven off. We don't have a spare. And I'm about to tell you guys something I've done that was illegal at the time, but I think the statute of limitations is passed, so it's okay. He goes, um, can you do something like, and I go, like, break into your house? And he's like, yeah, can you go break into our house? And so I, I've never admitted this in a public audience before, but I went to my buddy's house. I wore a black jacket and like dark jeans. It was the middle of the night. And I'm like, this is the shadiest thing I have ever done in my life, which tells you something. I go to the front door and I peer through the curtains to see if I can see the number, you know, on the stove, just to make sure it really was on. Like I'd hate to break into his house and it actually wasn't on. I could see the red numbers. I'm like, great, now I have to do it. So I'm walking around this house, and I'm going like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm a pastor. This is like a tabloid material. Like, it's caught breaking into somebody's house. Like, whatever. But I don't want their house to burn down, so I should probably do this. Yeah, I should do this. So I get on a paint bucket. I stand up uh, right by their back window, which is right near their bathtub. And I see that the, the window is just slightly ajar, but I can't quite get it. So I grab a shovel, put it in the window, Jack the window open like this. It scared me to death because it made this super loud noise, and I almost fell back. 
I knocked this glass bottle on their windowsill off and down into the tub, which is a porcelain tub. It shattered everywhere. And I went, oh, great, that's a wonderful landing spot for me as I shimmy through the window. I shimmy through the window. My pants start to come down because I'm getting caught, right, as the window. So here I fall into the tub, pile of glass next to me, and I'm, like, trying to avoid the glass. My pants are in a terrible spot, and I'm going, this is how I get caught. Like, the cops walk in, they're like, got you, buddy, putting it on Facebook. Thankfully, my pants came back on, the glass did not cut me, I went into the, living, I went into the kitchen, boop, turned off the oven, came back out again. The point I'm trying to make is, who do you have that would break into your house? I'm serious. Who in your life would you say, I mean, really, if you think about it, this is a moment of vulnerability, right? Like, dude, we left an oven on. And our house could burn down. Is it going to burn down? Probably not. But you want to look at that electric bill after three weeks of your oven being on at 450? Like, I don't want that bill. It takes vulnerability to say, I messed up. It takes vulnerability to say, would you do something ridiculous for me? And thank God, because of our friendship, because off the spot, we had spent time together. I knew he wasn't messing with me. I knew they really needed help. That in that moment when the chips were down, God really was able to say like, yeah, I need you to go do this for your friend. And thank God I didn't get caught. So who in your life could call you and say, I need you to break into my house. Or I need you to come with me. I'm in the hospital. Or I need you to pick my kid up after school. I can't do it right now. I'm too wiped out. I'm too tapped out. My wife's sick. I don't know what to do. Who could you call? Who knows you? At that level. Who are you? You're designed to seek God. And you seek God primarily by being with him, but you also seek him through relationships. What's your calling? Your calling is to wisdom and to fun. What is one step you could take toward growing in wisdom this year? For me, I had a mentor move away recently. Jerk. And I got to get a new mentor. So thank God I was at this party last weekend and a friend of mine, her dad's a pastor, and I'm going to start meeting with him as a mentor. That's one way I want to step into wisdom into the coming year. What is one way you could step into the things that God has for you in the year to come? And then how do you do this? You do this with God and with others. If you are not in a small group, I want to encourage you. Head out to the welcome table after worship. Our small groups guru or Sherpa or whatever title we want to give you now, Sarah, is going to be there. Sarah Bustad is helping to run our small groups ministry. Can you wave, Sarah? I'm putting you on the spot. There she is. Sarah is wonderful at connecting people to a goal. And if you have a goal of being in a small group this year, of really showing up for others, maybe even being invited to break into somebody's house, I would invite you to talk to her. We have a small groups survey so that we can kind of help you go, okay, here's the nights that I'm available, and here's the things I'm looking to do. And we can take that information and get you connected quickly and in a way that's really life-giving. And for those of you that are already in a small group, thank you. Keep it up. Keep that open seat at the table so you can invite someone else and be a part of what God is doing in your life. I want to offer one final thought on this off-the-spot, on-the-spot thing, and then I want to invite us to pray together. I mentioned earlier that part of my conversion story involved kind of coming to the end of good things, realizing that good things were not actually going to satisfy my heart. They were not really going to bring me life. But I didn't just get there on my own. I had a youth group leader at the time, a man that worked at my church. His name's Trey, and I've told you guys about Trey before. He's one of my mentors, one of my heroes. 
And he was the guy that I came to when I was struggling with, why don't I feel good about all this good stuff I've done in my life? I thought achievement was the way to satisfaction. Why is this falling apart for me? Trey was the guy that this high school kid could come to and say, why isn't this working? What's happening? And I could be safe with him. I could be vulnerable with him. He received me with grace. There was no judgment. And in that on-the-spot moment, Trey was able to share with me the life-giving message of Jesus. This really lands in your life, Travis. Yes, he really can satisfy you. Yes, it is better than making good grades. That was an on-the-spot moment that changed my life. And do you know how that on-the-spot moment happened? Because of countless hours off the spot. Where Trey and I were in relationship together, we were, just ha- we were friends, we were in a Bible study, we would have all kinds of fun, sure. But I guarantee you that Trey himself was ready for that moment because he'd been praying for me for a long time, because he had studied the scriptures. Because, and this is true of him to this day, that guy is so deeply devoted to his friends and the people who encourage him and his small group and the guys that are investing in him and building him up year after year after year. He was ready for an on-the-spot moment with me because of the incredible investment that he'd been making off the spot. Friends, what kind of off-the-spot investment are you making? And on the spot, will you be able to talk to a high school kid like me and tell them about this incredible way of life that Jesus invites us into? Will you be able to speak to one of your children or your grandchildren about the joy and the majesty of the Savior? Because you have had that time learning to trust him, learning to so deeply commit your life to him, as the scriptures tell us, to to the breaking of bread and to the fellowship and to prayer. Guys, this is the way for us as a church. This is our forward motion together. That we are a people who increasingly are prepared off the spot for the -the on-the-spot things that God has for us. And when I look at you, I see a community of Christ followers who are ready for this and who are ready to jump in. So I'm going to invite Megan to join me up here. And I want to invite you to consider responding to this morning's message at our prayer stations, which are these easels in the back. I want you to think about one question. The question is, if there's one way that you would like for God to grow you in the next year, what would it be? Or in the next six months? I would like for God to grow me in this way. And would you be willing to be a little courageous and to write down that request on one of these post-it notes and just stick it up on the easel. Just write it up there. You don't have to write your name. Just write down, God, please grow me this way. Please grow me in my compassion. Grow me in my trust. Grow me in my courage. It can be something even more specific than that. But as Megan is playing this next song, as we are worshiping together, this can be a part of your worship. To walk up to these tables, to write down a prayer request, stick it up on the board, and then at the end of our time in worship, we'll gather those prayer requests and we'll pray for those prayers together. There's no pressure to go up there and write anything down. If you don't want to do that, you don't have to. Please don't feel like you have to write your name down. But if you would like to ask God and have our community together ask God for a blessing toward your growth, toward his good in the year ahead, what might that be? Let's join our hearts together in prayer. Mighty God, we know that you are with us and you are for us. And there's so many ways for us to step into this. And right now, we just want to be filled with your courage. Thank you for the encouragement of the psalm pointing toward Messiah, pointing us toward what life in Christ can really be like. 
And we know this isn't just for us, God. We know that you are preparing us for some amazing on-the-spot moments in the year ahead. Maybe it's talking to a friend who's been struggling. Maybe it's talking to the most confident person we have ever met and hearing their hearts cry for the Savior. Maybe it's our own brokenness, finally seeing a counselor coming to grips with these difficult things that we have wrestled with. Whatever steps we can take to grow in the next year, God, may we name them. May we own them. May we seek ways to be accountable to what you are doing in our lives through community. God, thank you for calling us to be this community together here on the east side. As we rise, as we join our voices together in singing, as we write down these prayers, God, use all the rest of our worship now for your glory. We pray in the mighty name of Christ. Amen.